Jensen, everything else. My name is Audrey Jean Flowers, and welcome to the Completely Fucking Clueless Podcast. My name is Sarah Alice Liddy, and we both use she, her pronouns. Slay. Slay, you guys. What an exciting week it has been over here at CFC. <laughs> Our team us too yes. has been very excited because we were in the new york motherfucking times bitches i cannot believe it honestly me too i know my mom keeps like telling me like this is a really big deal and for some reason i like it, like it's hitting but it's also like you know like does that make sense absolutely it's a big deal to me and not at the same time. I think because, okay, you guys, so we've been like teasing this for quite some time now. We kept saying we like... We did it in January. Yes. And we, they kept being like, no, it's coming out in two weeks. And we were like, how... This is a long two weeks. Yes. So we did this in January, like mm-hmm. literally end of January. And how it started, because I've gotten some questions about it because I posted about it on my yes. TikTok. People are like, how did you like make this happen? We didn't. Um, I don't know is the answer. <laughs> I do not know. The answer is kind of TikTok. Yeah, the answer is definitely yeah. TikTok. Um, Someone like probably a year ago now on our TikTok asked us for a 20s book recommendation. Oh, is that how we did that That TikTok? Uh-huh. Wow, okay. And the only book that I knew about your 20s was The Defining Decade. But you have been a preacher, not like, yes. a, but like you have always like preached to people like Because it's a good book it. to read in your yes. 20s. Um, like, and I have to give credit where credit is due uh, because you requested credit way back when this happened. Oh. Julia Perry. She's the one who introduced me to the book. Julia Perry. All credit goes to Julia Perry. This all leads back to, Ju- to Julia Every, Perry. Everything reads back to <laughs> Julia Perry. Um, like I bought The Defining Decade. Like it was funny because when they reached out to us, I had the book. I had yeah. never read it because and my mom is really like, I think Sarah is finally going to have to read the book. And I was like, yeah, I guess I know what it takes to get Sarah to read a book I've recommended. <laughs> we are going to be, in- we have to be interviewed by the New York Times about it in order for me to get her to read it. Literally 100%. <laughs> it was funny because basically... I, like I think I was just like at my kitchen table or maybe that was the Spotify dinner. I don't know. But I was sitting on this couch. Yeah, we got an email from the woman who wrote it. Her name's Emma. And like every other thing, I initially was like, this is a scam. And so I went yes. and looked her up on LinkedIn and I was like, no, this is a real person. And it's an at New York Times email or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And she and you ended up talking with her the night yes. that she emailed so us. She emailed us asking to like chat. Yes. And I was like, yeah, when next week works? And she was like, actually, can you talk tonight? And thank god that we got it when i did or that she replied quickly or something because i was about to take an edible <laughs> that would have been great that would have been so, bad thank god i think i got distracted cooking or something and didn't end up taking it so we end up talking on the phone and initially it sounds like sort of a panel thing like she even asked like do you have other friends who have read it yeah uh like what would they be interested in talking about it? and i'm like yeah totally I, I have friends like i can find out and she was like cool 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 yeah and i'm like okay Next day, she calls me again. Yes. In the morning, right? In the morning. Yes. Um, and she doesn't say this explicitly, but the the context clues she's dropping are suddenly very different of like, hey, do you and Sarah want to get lunch with the author Meg Jay and me for an interview? And she asked us like some background questions and whatnot. Yes. Um, and so I think I texted you being like, you need to read the fucking book. Yeah. <laughs> like you need to read the book. Like Audrey was like, you need to read the book. And also like I had a call with her. Yeah. Like, she in called the you a couple hours later. Yeah. And we were talking about it and I had started to read it mm-hmm. um, and she was like how are you liking it she asked me some questions about oh, myself I, I did feel bad she asked me about the romance section and I was like 
and here's the thing i hadn't read the book in like a year and a half or two at that point right so i didn't super remember and i'm gonna be honest i totally threw you under the bath i was like you know what i think sarah would be a better person to talk to well it's funny because i ended up start i think because of that i think you told me I that i did tell you and so yes. i started with the so love I section completely fuck you over yes. at least warned you yes um and i did i really focused on that um and then and then in my call yes. with her, she was like, oh, are you guys be comfortable being like photographed and whatever? Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, we do. We do photo shoots all the um, time. Like I wasn't even processing that we were going to be getting our photo taken for the yes. New York Times. Um, and so then I texted Audrey about the call and I was like, oh, yeah, like they asked also to take our photo. And then we were like, OK, so like we're going to lunch with this woman from mm -hmm. the New York Times, the author of The Defining Decade to talk they want to take our photo like we were like this seems like legit yes and we were like it was still because initially it seemed like other people were gonna be involved yeah. so we were like let's not make a big deal about this it might be nothing yeah it ended up being so cool it was so 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 it so was cool. so cool we did such a long shoot with them which is so funny i know that Poor photo shoot is hysterical the number of she was like a fantastic photographer and it was so much fun but the number of times she said one more photo was in the hundreds yeah and so basically how the day went was we started off i got my first blowout ever for yes this. i got a blowout too i was like gotta look good for these photos oh, yeah because it, this happened very fast we got yes. that email thursday night and the uh, interview and photos ended up being taken the following Wednesday. Yes. So I panic ordered some clothes because I was yes. like, I don't own fucking anything that's worth in the New York Times. I know. I got a like, pink blazer like super fast. I had to go out. The bra that I'm actually currently wearing is the only actual bra I own that fits me because <laughs> I was like, all of my bras don't fit me and give me over boob. And I was like, I can't have over boob if I'm going to be in the New York Times so I went out got an actual fitting bra Wait, that's so funny because when I walked in today Audrey wasn't I was wearing just her shirt she was just in her bra and I was like wow she's wearing a bra like I know, she must have gotten a new bra only bra I own that actually fits me all that's of my so other funny. bras like don't even close to fit me that's hysterical um panicked ordered clothes they got in Tuesday night yeah when we had the shoot on Wednesday and I was so panicked because the tops that I had picked didn't end up working out. And I ended up figuring something out. But I, like, called a bunch of people in a blind panic being like, does this no. look good? I'm going to be in the New York Times and I want to look good. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And then we got to – we ate at this really amazing yes, Greek place. Yes, that I really do want to go back to. I know. To. I wish I, I – I don't, don't remember, remember the name. It's, it's a, it must it's be in, in our group email. message. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. That too. It might even be in the article. Oh. Wait, no, they say what area we're in. They right. don't say actually what restaurant we were um, at. Which I thought was interesting, you know, reading the article in like, in like the area that we got, you know, luncheon is an area for people who are up and coming and trying to, you know, make their dreams come true. Mm -hmm. I like loved that. Um, but yeah, we got lunch with her and the author and we just like had the most amazing discussion. Casual. It was yeah. so low key. Oh my God. She was so, Meg, we, and from this, you'll, the interviews right after this portion, but we got to speak with her twice and she's just like, so lovely and i feel yes. now connected to her so i'm gonna say in advance if i seem out of it in the interview <laughs> it's because i super was yeah it wasn't that long after my grandmother and i'm gonna be honest i wasn't doing well to a point i think actually meg kind of said something yes she did it was so not so <laughs> funny I so uh, embarrassed it was like yes because you walked in and i could immediately tell I from was your like, energy barely got there yeah we'd already had to reschedule yes once for we when did. i went home when my grandmother we was did. sick so i yeah. didn't want to reschedule again and i'm gonna be honest 
the most zombie like I've ever been. Yeah, it was it was interesting. <laughs> I think at one point she was like, she like Audrey like was yeah, like because like I'm very talkative. She'd already spoken with us. Yeah. She knew I was very talkative. Yeah. And I was like, oh no. I was like, what's happening? I was so embarrassed. And I'm like so sad about it because I really do admire her so much. And like it's okay. I'm gonna be honest, I don't remember a single thing we said in the interview. I in the original one that we did in the restaurant, I remember. Yeah. I don't remember any of that. So it's gonna be interesting for me. I haven't done the edit yet so it's gonna be really interesting for me to listen to I remember at the beginning I like effed up like I couldn't remember the name of something and I was just like thrown off I almost felt like I was in a musical and I had forgotten (laughs) my line I like was so fucking embarrassed um so but like I was utterly unhelpful I know I think I maybe said 15 words in the whole thing it's okay we we made it through and I think so in advance I'm gonna seem weird (laughs) and it's because I am I think there's things to take away I mean she's like such an amazing person and like getting to sit down with her was incredible read the book yeah the book highly even if you're out of your 20s read the book um also it it might bring a little bit of panic because it is very much like get your ass in gear but I think in a good way way. yes yeah I think in a good way um also like she talked with us about like she will like read the emails that people send her about and reply and they'll be like wow I didn't think you were gonna reply to this yeah so just saying um but she's really nice and yeah the lunch was like amazing and the food was really good that's we gotta figure out the name I'll put it somewhere on Instagram we'll find it Um, I wanted to go back because I remember being like this is and I remember getting full and being sad that I couldn't finish yeah it was such a cute restaurant it was I remember also being like trying to eat really carefully because we had the shoot right after not right after we ate, we came back here real quick but we had the shoot afterwards and it was like i put so much time into making sure my makeup looks good i can't fuck it up i know and then like audrey said the shoot we we thought it would maybe take like 30 minutes like yeah. oh like i bet these people are busy like yeah. shot 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 go 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 two hours later (laughs) my like face hurt from smiling and it's so funny because like we only ended up ever seeing the one photo that's in the article which i think is so funny that that was the photo that they chose out of all the photos like so many different poses so many different places like so many different things i was like what um and like we were so exhausted by the end of it that we like needed sugar and so we went and got (gasps) cake after oh my god that cake oh my god really good i actually have a video of it i'm gonna find post like a vlog on my tiktok of like the day um and i have like a video of me eating the cake same i got home and i i literally like i think i ate my cake and immediately passed out i know i was fucking exhausted i'm honestly gonna be in that area today so i may make <gasps> olivia go and get a piece of cake with you. me i love cake it's like my favorite dessert um yeah but what a like incredible experience that Absolutely we got to insane. have like i'm gonna be honest <laughs> as you all have known been going through a rough time but you know, I was considering getting back into dating, and this article was why. Because I was like, my life may be a mess, and I may have to admit that on these <laughs> days. The but I can go and be like, guess what? I was in the New York Times a week ago. <laughs> you guys, you guys. I ha- Does I- that make me a little insane? Yeah. Yeah. I had an interview on Thursday, Did and you- the first, and she yeah. was like, she was of like, course. how was your week? And I was like, you know, this has been a crazy week. I was in the New York Times. And she was like, no way. And she was actually genuinely, like, interested in, like, and I was, like, nervous that it came off a little bit, like, braggy, like, mm. off the 
the bat but I was just kind of being genuine like it's been really crazy a really like, crazy week like um so this is our new personality trait yeah I'm not gonna ever shut up about it I am no. eventually gonna get it framed and hung up in my yeah apartment. I hope one day that we get like a studio and we can hang it up oh, there obviously um yeah it was such a cool experience and for like thank you guys for listening and yeah. following especially on people who follow us on TikTok thank you because she went through a bunch of people's TikToks and like she told us that was how she found us she yeah. looked up defining decade on TikTok yeah so TikTok can make your dreams come true like there um so yeah we hope you enjoy this interview that we yeah. did with her um we both still have to listen to it and <laughs> I've been postponing it a little bit because I know I'm going to be embarrassed you know what it happens and I feel like she out of all people would understand she is a therapist yes. um I imagine if you sent her an email and was like hey like I just wanted you to know like this is where I was at that day she would respond I honestly might honestly I feel like you should honestly yeah. wait that was such a great idea yeah. like if it's if it's Look like weighing, giving advice I know if it's to weighing, ourselves, <laughs> to ourselves. <laughs> if it's weighing on you like why not there's like no like I feel like she's just like and that's yeah. how therapists are like I just feel like they're nice like that you know they're good people slay slay all right you guys we hope you enjoy our interview with Meg J. Go check out our New York Times article. Go read the defining oh, decade. The, the name. What is the name of the article so you can find it? Oh, um, the name of the article. Like something about the something youth. The patron saint. A voice of reason to help you with your 20s is the name of the article in the paper. But online, it's what's the point of your 20s? Ask the patron saint of the stri- of striving youth. We are not the patron saint no. of striving youth. We are the youth that she I is we helping. We were referred to like as mega fans or like yes. disciples or something like that. We were also, yes, uh, like uh, something about being like miscombobulated youth. Yes. I was like. Oh, yeah. Do you want to hear the best? Uh, I would love that this is. I oh, hope yes. This is what I'm remembered for in I history. I feel like like you and JC Marie, hopefully one day when we meet them, like you have to be I have like, to. And, like tell her about a it. real quote from me in the New York times is sometimes you've got to be in your flop era because the slay era doesn't mean anything. If there's no flop era, slay, 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 slay. And I certainly know about flop eras, baby. All right, you guys, here is our interview with Meg J. Hello, clueless people. We are so excited because today we are going to be chatting with, I've been referring to her as the 20s guru, but she is better <laughs> known as the author of The Defining Decade, Dr. Meg J. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. As I said, I've had a really long day yeah. and I was looking forward to this as a fun way to end it. So oh. I'm really happy to be here. What did you have going on today? Uh, I saw eight clients back to back. Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, my mom is so a I'm, social worker, so I get okay. that life. Yes. You get it. Yes. Yep. You've, you've seen the glazed over look at the end of the day. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. And she actually works with 20 something women. So, um, I get to hear a lot about, you know, what that life is like for her as well. Oh, cool. I, you know, I didn't, did I know that? I don't think I knew that. I don't but know if we talked cool. about it back in January. Yeah. Um, for everybody listening, we've actually gotten the opportunity to chat with Meg before, and it was absolutely incredible. So today we actually have a lot of questions and thoughts from our listeners to kind of give them a chance to have, you know, your advice and ears. Great, great, great. Yeah. Great. Well, whatever would be useful for them to hear, let's talk about it. Amazing. So kind of to get into it, you know, I think 
right now at least on TikTok, the 20s as like a decade and a concept are like this huge like fascination for a lot of people. I see so many 20-somethings posting about like their struggles and their hardships. And then you also see people in older decades, you know, reflecting on their 20s, like what I wish I would have done and sharing that. What do you think the fascination around the 20s, like where does it come from? And where do you feel like your interest in this specific decade started? Yeah, so I think my interest started in the same place all this the fascination comes from and I'll I'll rewind to before my time um yeah 50 years ago at 21 people were married they had a baby they had a house they had a career or they worked at home and whatever and so life was sort of settled like people settled down it's hard to imagine again before my time but believe it or not it was only about 50 years ago so maybe like y'all's grandparents probably not your parents um but anyway um in the last 50 years but especially across the last 20 to 30 years so within my time of being an adult um the quote-unquote developmental milestones the adult milestones moved up so now average age of marriage is pushing 30 average age of first baby is 30 you'll get ready for this brace yourselves you're going to have nine jobs on average by the time you're 35 people find career stability in their 30s they buy houses average age of first home ownership is at all-time high of 36 So all that stuff people used to have at 21, they now have closer to like 30, 35, or they start to have. So it's opened up this space um, that kind of like literally didn't exist Mm -hmm. 40, 50 years ago in terms of like what you would do with it or all, you know, when just kind of a new space of how do I put this together? What do I do with this? Um, So that's led to a lot of conversation, a lot of fascination, and also a lot of stress and anxiety around all the uncertainty because you know people settle down later than they used to so they're very unsettled I mean there's a lot to feel like whoa you know is my life ever going to work out and how do I make that happen so all that has kind of unfolded in my adult era Um, you know I kind of saw that firsthand as a Gen Xer and then it's continued with Gen Y Gen Z and it'll just continue it's not generation specific at this point it's really age group specific. So like 20 something specific yeah. chunk of time. And there's like a whole bunch of ways you could put it together. And, you know, that's a lot for people to try to figure out. And it's, it can be very anxiety provoking. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, even though we there all these milestones have moved backward and there is more time, a part of me is curious as to why, you know, us 20-somethings feel all this, you know, stress and pressure um, to figure out something and make it happen when all these milestones have become later. Do you have an idea as to maybe why? Um, I mean, I think the message has come down partly, you know, <laughs> you, you have me to thank or not to thank um, for that. The message has come down that it doesn't like magically appear, you know, when True. you're 30, that you kind of have to put those things together to have, you know, the adult life that 
supposedly used to be handed out on a silver platter. I don't know if that was actually true or not, but um, it's definitely not true now. And so people get a sense of like, shoot, my 20s really matter. There's this lady over here calls them the defining decade. (laughs) So I probably should do something with that time. Um, And I think there's also an internal wish and desire for I want some stability. I want some yeah. certainty. I want to put these things together because being sort of free floating sounds fun. Um, but pretty quickly, you know, it starts to feel, you know, like I said before, pretty anxiety provoking. So I think people want to put, start putting life together. Yeah, I agree with that. I was actually talking with somebody last night because I was explaining how we were going to be doing this interview today and they were talking about, you know, we're talking about your book and some of your concepts and one of their questions that they asked me to bring up was, you know, that you're, you talk about identity capital um, in your book and I'm I'm blanking on the other word. Identity capital and weak ties. No, no weak ties. Yes, but um, it, let me see. Hold on one second. It was like capital versus. Hold on. Oh, identity crisis. There we go. Identity. Thank you. A, a capital versus crisis, and you know how do you? build the capital when you still feel like you're in a crisis in your 20s? Actually, the capital is the cure for the crisis to stick okay. with the C words here. So um, because part of being, you know, identity crisis is like, oh my gosh, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if it's going to work out. You know, crisis is like a period of like instability or change. But right. when you get out there and you build just one piece of identity capital at a time, and you get many pieces, like I said, on average, nine jobs before the age of 35. So you're going to have lots of different pieces. But when you build those, that's sort of where the stability comes from that okay. um, may be difficult for some of your listeners to imagine now. But after you have you know, a good handful of pieces of really solid identity capital within then you feel like career-wise, work-wise, even personally, that you're settled even if your job is going to change. I was talking to an old client of mine actually just a few days ago. She's in her 30s now and she's on a, you know, in another job right now and she said, "Yeah, my job keeps changing, but I am the same. I mean, you know that I my career identity is pretty set, but maybe this company gets bought by that company or this company goes under or I decide to move across the country. So those pieces of capital are sort of where we get that internal stability that no matter, you know, jobs can change, economies can change, but what we have goes with us everywhere. Yeah, that's very true. I feel like a lot of us 20-somethings, I know we do this a lot, we get kind of wrapped up in in the crisis of it all, in the, you know, I don't know what's happening. Um, but it seems, just like you said, in order to get out of the crisis, you kind of just have to keep taking those small steps forward. Yeah, I, I might be, this isn't quite what you're saying, but it made me think yeah. of it. Oh, I think it's a Winston Churchill quote, but I'm re-quoting something someone quoted to me that it's something <laughs> like, if you find yourself in hell, keep going. Um, <laughs> just sort of meaning like, keep moving. Um, yeah, the only way out is through. 
Yes, there you go. Even nicer. So, um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I think they're part of that. The all the uncertainty and the wish for stability is like I want answers. Like if I sure. know who I am, then I'll know what to do. It's yeah. actually usually the other way around. That most people. I know you're not here just to talk about jobs, but we're started with identity capital. Yeah, so, let's do it. Um, most people wind up in jobs that they'd never heard of when they were in college or in p- jobs or positions that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. So this idea that at 20 or 22 or 24, we can ask someone like, who are you going to be when you quote, you know, grow up, they don't <laughs> actually know you haven't met the future version of yourself. And that thing you end up doing and loving, you probably haven't heard of it yet. I mean, you might be headed in the right direction. That feels authentic for you. Like I, when I was in college, I thought I wanted to go to grad school in psychology, but I really didn't know if I would wind up being a professor or a researcher or a clinician. And I definitely had never heard of specializing in 20 somethings, partly because it wasn't a thing right? because the age group wasn't a thing. And really one thing that launched that was in a part, the defining decade, I wrote the book because I thought, you know, 20 somethings, they need a good book. I had a lot of 20 somethings in my office and I was repeating myself and having the same conversations. So I love to recommend books. So I went to Barnes and Noble to look for a good book. There none existed. Um, this would have been like early 2000s. So I thought, well, I guess I'm going to have to write it. And if you go to Barnes and Noble now and look on there's like a section that says like 20 something I mean there's a whole section now and back when I was looking there was no section there was maybe like a couple of you know kind of silly books so um so anyhow so my point on that was I did not know that I would be doing this now even though I kind of headed in a direction that felt true for me um, that you kind of have to figure it out through doing things. Yes, I agree. I agree. I feel like currently right now in my life, I'm in this space. You know, it's funny when we were talking in January, I felt so like kind of confident with where I was at and like, look at it now, like two months like later, I'm like, oh my goodness, like, is this like going to happen for me and all these things? But I think your story is very reassuring. I know for me and I imagine for anybody listening that, it is sort of about putting the different pieces of the puzzle together and eventually that puzzle will figure itself out. It's just going to take some time. Right. But you don't, I mean, there, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, self-reflection and like talking to friends and family and looking with them, you know, yet you don't, after a certain point, there's nothing new to reflect on. You just have to go out there and try some things and go, oh my gosh, you know, when I was at grad school, Turns out spending seven years on statistics was enough for me. <laughs> I was ready to move on and not be a researcher and be a clinician. But, I, you know, one way I learned that was by living that for a few years, which has served me well in terms of being, you know, like research oriented and research yeah. informed, which is in my books a lot. But, um, but anyway, you know, there's a German poet, uh, Rilke and he the short version of one of his passages is don't look for the answers live the questions and you know a lot of my clients have questions of like I don't know what I am I don't know who I am I don't know what I want to do and you know we talk about it some but a lot of what we talk about is how can you get out there 
and have some experiences that help you live the questions. That's, that's where the answers come from. Sure. What do you recommend for your clients when they do come to you with these questions of like, I don't know what to do. Like, where do I start? Do you have any tangible things that you tell them to get them going? Uh, well, it would depend. Like, are we talking about, um, let's say it's like a job. Yeah. Like I think a lot of the stuff I hear, at least, you know, we talk about is kind of uh, honestly around career stuff. Like, I don't know which path to go down or, um, I don't know if I should take this job or if this job is going to lead me to where I want to get to in my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, fortunately the paths like, you know, it's not sort of, if I had the right metaphor, that would be good, but I don't have it, but you know, it's not like a water shoot where you pick one and then like, you're going to go down the shoot, you can't, you know, change. So, you know, I usually ask people what makes the most sense for them now, you know, what do you think, you know, was feels the most authentic or the most useful or where you're going to learn the most, the most identity capital and just start there and give it six months, give it a year, see what you learned. And then you re, re- reassess. Um, and that's where the nine jobs by 35 comes from is that young people are constantly like, okay, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. Or I learned everything I'm going to get here. Now I'm going to go over there that that's that's normal so it's remembering that this is not a one especially with career I mean maybe some people with relationships you know might like to find one person to spend their life with and Mm -hmm. that's awesome um it's definite it's probably not going to go that way with your career so any choice it's just a temporary choice um but I'm a big proponent for you know learn grow, challenge yourself as much as you can in your 20s, because no one expects you to know everything. So enjoy that. Um, Because eventually you're going to get to the point where you're it, you know, and people do, you know, you kind of stop learning and growing in the same way as before, um, unless you're really, you know, kind of pushing yourself. Right, right. Did you have any, you know, reflecting on your 20s, did you have any, you know, monumental maybe experiences where you felt lost and uncertain? And how do you think you like found your way through that? had any monumental ones but I think I probably felt lost and uncertain like the entire time so it was sort of a steady burn um yeah um I mean my general path which for people I wouldn't assume everybody or anybody any of your listeners have read my book so after I graduated from college I spent five years as an outward bound instructor so that's like you know outdoor education stuff which um was definitely part exploration, but also part commitment for me and that I was really committing to sort of learning a lot about leadership and working with groups and special populations. So even though it sounds like a very flaky thing to do, it actually, I was, it, it, there was some thought there in terms of, I need to challenge myself. And every single day I was challenging myself to handle really difficult situations and all that stuff. So I did that for five years, but it was probably supposed to be about two or three. And then then I looked around and realized like, oh my gosh, it's been five. So I better (laughs) pivot. Um, 
And to pivot, I needed to take the GRE. I needed to do applications. You know, I needed to not be sleeping in the woods. So <laughs> I went and um, rung up health food at, at Berk in uh, Boulder. I moved to Boulder because I was like probably near. I don't even remember now. And was like, oh, I'll just go get an apartment there. Rung up health food while I studied for and then crushed the GRE so that I could like go go to grad school so my point is like I was not wasn't like every single moment was this amazing productive moment of clarity it was really just I I need and want to do this I need and want to do that you know then I went through the whole grad school rigmarole um you know that was a rough several years but it was something I needed and wanted to do Um, so, I mean, I would say I, I felt just for me, I probably was fortunate enough to feel like this is the right direction for me. It wasn't like I was thinking maybe I should be an accountant or maybe I should be a poet. Like I wasn't really having those thoughts, but I didn't really know how this was all going to actually look on the other side Right. the whole time. I mean, I wouldn't say I had like a full sense of it until I mean pretty consistent with the data until probably my mid-30s I was like all right this is like this is my career identity and this is who I am and I've been kind of there ever since yeah I I relate to that a lot I think you know when I graduated college and I kind of came out of it not wanting I we both got our degrees in performance um in music theater and so I came out of it being like I'm not really sure if that's the route I want to go down currently and I remember both my parents just being like so freaked out about it um but actually a couple weeks ago I was at dinner with my dad and he was like I think it's when you explained it to me that you were still going down a creative path and entertainment route, but it just wasn't that specific route, at least for right now. Um, And honestly, when he said that and, and hearing your story kind of brings it to life for me that like, you know, they're kind of, like you said earlier, many different paths in like one big niche, like, you know, psychology, mental health, there's the clinical, the research and whatever. And as you figure out, you know, who you are and what you like, you kind of figure out how to narrow in a little bit more. Yeah. And part of why I'm a big proponent of in your twenties, learn, challenge, grow, your your learning curve is like directly proportional to your earning curve in your thirties and beyond. And by earning, I don't just mean money. If I was all about the money, I would have gone into finance, not psychology. (laughs) So, um, but it's more about like earning options, flexibility. So, you know, I really learned a lot in my twenties and pushed myself all through grad school to have the widest variety of clients or really challenging cases, you know, statistics, clinical work, you know, internships in hospitals, like as much kind of as I could learn and grow while that was still like my role. Right. Um, And then ever since I've had my degree, I've done different things because, you know, so I guess what I'm saying in some ways I've narrowed, but in other ways it's constantly changing. So I've had Mm. times where I've had, you know, 40, 50 clients a week 
And then I've had times where I'm just writing books all the time, or I'm consulting with companies, or I'm going on semester at sea and teaching classes. Yes. I mean, you just, you never really know what I'm going to do next. It's in the the realm of 20 something mental health, because I love it. And that's mm-hmm. like, where the, that's my why, the meaning of how important that is. But, um, but you never know what I'm going to do next in that space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I'm, that sounds incredible. I feel like it's interesting, like hearing your story. Cause it's, you know, you got to the point of like 20 somethings, but within that, you know, you still get to live this life where things are changing and sometimes can be uncertain. I mean, a huge reason why we started this podcast was because we both kind of sat down and realized like, yes, we feel really uncertain in our twenties, but as we've learned and talked to people throughout, like the uncertainty never stops. Sure, some things can get a little bit more certain, but truly life is always kind of throwing things at you and you're adjusting and changing and figuring it out. Yeah, and that's where it kind of comes back to, you know, the identity capital. And, and, you know, I just, I mean that both personally and professionally of that what gets really settled is yourself of like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, if I stop doing this, I still have all these skills to come over here and do that. Or, sure. um, you know, that I'm the, the constant, even though careers changing, life's changing, states may be changing, you know, whatever could be changing. But that, and I know it, it, it is true that as you get older and you make like the big defining decisions, um, you know, you get more career clarity or relationship, family, where you're going to live, like it becomes more settled. Um, yeah. And that is nice. Um, yet you also feel like, well, whatever happens, uh, I can manage it because I'm settled inside. Right. Um, and I think the really hard part, the hardest part about being in your 20s, it's the most uncertain time of life because you're not settled on the inside and life isn't settled on the outside. So you got none of that. Um, and that's, that's the hardest part. Yeah. So true. As we're sitting here talking about this, I don't know about you, but I'm like, I know I'm not like a hundred percent settled on the inside. I'm, um, <laughs> I feel some days I feel like I'm maybe racking in at like 3% some days, some days that's all I've got. <laughs> It's, um, I mean, it, it's, it's an unsettling time in and out and, you know, you just developmentally wouldn't have had the experience or like the skill set or the, you know, it's like all the stuff that you go through to be like, okay, I got that. Or, okay, I could get through that. Like you don't have that yet. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of like kind of, you know, the interim being in our 20s, um, something we talk a lot about on the podcast is when we graduated college, you know, we came out and there was this huge like wide open world where you're not in the structure of school and, you know, you don't have different authority figures telling you where to be and when to be there. Um, and so sometimes, you not sometimes, a lot of the time we'll talk about routines and kind of building your life in your 20s. Is this something that you talk about with your patients? And how do you recommend, you know, 20 somethings go about, you know, sort of building their life for the first time out of these very structured lives that we've had, you know, with school and college? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a it, that's really part of the giant shift from more yeah. certainty to uncertainty, because in, in school and like in if someone went to college, there were syllabi and it said, this is what you do, this is right. when you do it, and this is how you get an A or a B or a C, and you know, it's all very sort of clear, and someone else has decided for you, and then you get out of school, and it's like, oh, I guess I write my own syllabus, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not feeling like an expert in my field. So, um, so it's difficult. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of start with what you can. I, I, I mean, this is why I will almost never work with someone who doesn't have a job or isn't willing to get one because it's extremely difficult to feel like you have any structure if you don't have anywhere to be ever, you know, and, right. and to feel like I, you know, I'm figuring stuff out if I'm not sort of taking some responsibility for my own bills or finances, whatever. I mean, but, you know, works out because turns out most 20 somethings need to work. So it's usually not a big issue, but if I'm working with someone and they're like, yeah, I don't have a job, then that's the first thing that we do. And I don't really have a horse in the race of like what it is. Of course, I want like the more learning, the more growing, the more identity capital, that's the one I would vote for. But I mean, most of all people, like they need to be somewhere, you know, like you need to feel like there's a reason, like somebody knows whether or not you get out of bed in the morning, um, yeah. hopefully more than just your job, but it's a good place to start. Um, and I'm also really big into healthy routines about sleeping. Um, you know, I work a lot with college students who just have the worst sleep on the planet. <laughs> so, and seem to have like forgotten that like sleeping in some sort of predictable way is really good for you. So, you know, they think I'm a genius when I tell them to go to bed at a decent hour and get up at roughly <laughs> the same time every day. And then like suddenly they feel better and they just think it's amazing. Um, so, you know, the things like having a good sleep schedule where you've got that two hour window of you go to bed and, you know, so whether it's 11 to one or 12 to two, and then you wake up same, you know, two hour window mm -hmm. in the morning, even on the weekend, not like sleeping till one on Saturday, because that like throws everything off and then right. you teach your body. So, you know, uh, routines around like learning to cook and like having some kind of, you know, like, yeah, come home and I turn on a podcast and, you know, I'll whip out my five ingredient cookbook and just there's like a lot of small ways that we can feel like. I do have a structure, I do have routines, or I see my friends every Tuesday night for cocktails or pizza or whatever. But it's such an unstable time that I think, you know, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, but just the way it is, a lot of that has to come from you. Um, but yeah, usually if you have work and life and responsibilities, like, you know, life gets structured uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I remember when we graduated, I started babysitting because I sort of was like, I um I just need something to like give me some sort of structure. And I I reflecting, like I remember I hit the six month mark of like babysitting and I was finally like waking up early and stuff. And I was like, oh, like I kind of have a routine. And but at the beginning, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, my sleep schedule is all over the place. I'm not making money. I still can't cook. Um, maybe I'll learn one day. <laughs> um, but it is, it's such a daunting moment when you graduate college and 
they don't really tell you at school that you're going to be like thrust into the world and you're, you're missing all the structure that you knew about it. Yeah. I mean, if I had my druthers about college, we would spend a lot of time on a lot of other subjects. Um, besides like, you know, we go down some like serious rabbit holes in college of things that are never going to be needed yet, you know, and I mean, I work at a university where people feel like they need three majors and two minors and like, sorry, no one cares. Like that's not actually going to help you in life. It would be yeah. much better to have one major, but have time of like, put, you know, weightlifting on your schedule, like take a weightlifting class or, you know, an art class and develop a hobby or, um, you know, of course, personal finance or learning to cook, a, you know, a basic sort of mental health class for everyone. I mean, this is honestly what people need. Um, but we're sort of in this culture where we feel like we need three majors and two minors, none of which ever really get used. Yeah, yeah. I have two younger brothers that are in college right now, and I talk with them a lot about like not, you know, do well in school, obviously. But I was like, if I could go back and change something about my college years, it would be like not obsessing over the grades and all of that because I've, like you said, realized that in in this real world, a lot of that doesn't really matter as much as I thought it was going to, or as they tell you it's going to. Well, I think the confusing part is that game is how you get into college more than ever before. Um, I was just gave gave a talk over at UVA last week, and I said, Mm -hmm. you know, that game is how you got here, but that is not the game to play for what comes next, because yeah, and you've loaded yourself up with a bunch of accolades that don't quite translate unless you're like trying to go to a really competitive graduate school, in which case you are still on that. But, you know, as y'all know, being out in the real world, what often goes a lot further is communication skills or mm-hmm. personality or leadership or risk taking or, sure. um, you know, like kind of some of the more quote unquote soft skills and just personally feeling like I feel like I have it together or I feel like um, you know I I don't kind of go through the world feeling like oh my gosh I don't know how to do anything I mean which is a very common way to feel but (laughs) it would be nice if colleges didn't like launch people out with that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, kind of switching gears. Another thing that a lot of our listeners will write into us about, and I never have good advice on this one, um, is making friends in your twenties, um, making new connections. I've kind of been fortunate or maybe not fortunate to, I grew up right outside of New York. And so I still have like all my high school friends. And then like Audrey, a lot of my college friends moved to New York. So what do you recommend when (laughs) Audrey, what do you recommend when people come to you about like wanting to make new connections in their twenties? Yeah, so that's really important. And I think, I mean, friends are so important all throughout life. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they, whether you're, 
you know, even and especially when, you know, you're older and maybe have a partner or a family, you still need your friends. You can't put it all on your, your partner and your family. So friends are really important throughout life. They're especially important in your 20s, partly because of that kind of adult milestone thing that happened where, you know, people used to have a partner, you know, in their early 20s. And so there was a go-to person of, I need to go to the ER, like I know who would take me or I, I want to go out on a Saturday night. I know who I would go with. And so now people are statistically speaking, not likely to have a romantic partner for that purpose. Um, so friends are really kind of like the secure base, like the primary attachment figure of your 20s. So right. they're they're really, really important. Now, some people are good with one good friend. Some people, you know, they, they want 100. So it, it depends on you of what what you need out of friendship. But um, yeah, also back to the college thing of, you know, there are fewer structured opportunities. You know, there's not like a club fair right. in January <laughs> in downtown, wherever you live, that shows you all the clubs. So it's more on you. Um, but, you know, my best ad advice for people is to kind of get out there and you do you live your life. And that's where you'll meet people like you that likely share your interests. So mm -hmm. If you're a road biker, get out there and road bike or CrossFit or knitting club or wine tasting or whatever, um, that instead of, I think, putting too much pressure on, oh, no, I need to go find friends, it's more of go have a hobby. Um, hobbies are really great for your mental health and enjoyment. It's great to have something in life you know you can do any weekend or any week to like be happy or enjoy or feel like you did something cool. Um, so go do your hobby, um, go do your thing and you'll meet like-minded people that way. Um, so that's kind of, and it, it's, I hate to say it, but it's not just your twenties cause you're probably going to move. I mean, I moved, I live in Virginia now. I moved here when I was 37 and I had to make friends all over again, start all over again. Um, but you know, you kind of do the same thing. You go live your life and you, you meet other people who are living similar lives. Um, that said, you can also do, you know, don't forget about the weak ties route where yeah. you, know, you kind of have the courage to say, Hey, I just moved to, you know, Sacramento and my friend's uh, my old roommate's sister lives there and I'm going to call her and see if she wants to have coffee and, you know, just kind of make connections that way. But that, you know, you definitely have to put the effort in. I have clients or students who will say, well, I don't want to text anyone because what if they don't reply? What if it doesn't work out? I wait for people to text me and I'm like, well, I don't really know how you're going to make friends like that. So you're going to have to get over it and just take, take the initiative. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's an intimidating thing to try and make friends. Um, I, I'm not good at I, it. <laughs> I've made, I think, one friend who isn't a friend of a friend since moving here. And it was, it was through a class. Um, uh -huh. But I remember I literally bragged about my, to my mom about making my one friend. Um, and I'm go. still proud of my one friend. Yeah, you should. Shout out to Aislinn. 
<laughs> so you took a class mm-hmm. and y'all connected on that. Yeah, we only were in the same class once. And then I, I don't even know which one of us, but we ended up walking towards the same train station. We're like, let's get coffee. It took us, I think, five months to actually get coffee because we kept oh, having to yeah. reschedule. But we made it eventually. So you kept going. Good. Yeah. Just gotta ask someone for coffee. Most people will say yes. Yes. Well, that's the, um, you know, they've done, fortunately, some very recent and cool research about the likability gap that most people think other people like like them less than they do. You know, if you talk to someone in a class or at a cocktail party or, you know, on the bus and we think like, oh, my God, they hate me, (laughs) you know, but it's according to the research they don't hate you they actually probably like you more than you thought and so you know most 20 somethings are in the same boat of you know people need friends they want to have good interactions um so i actually asked a really smart charming student who i love a lot like last semester he was talking about you know social anxiety and feeling like he has a hard time sort of getting out there and talking to people yet he comes across as very like I get out there and talk to people I said well wow you're really you're doing something you're saying is really hard and he said you know I've just learned to sort of assume the best like to stop worrying about me and just assume the best in other people um to just think like this person probably is nice and wants to like me and um, I'm just going to focus on that and it's usually true yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the time, like we just like get in our heads about, about things. I mean, I talk about that with my own therapist a lot about, oh, what if this person is thinking this about me or that about me? And she's like, most of the time people are not thinking about, like they're thinking about themselves. Um, And so you don't have to worry as much about what people are thinking about you. There's a, somebody sent me some post or whatever. People send me stuff like this all the time, as you can imagine. (laughs) So it said something like, when you're 20, you can't stop worrying about what other people think about you. When you're 40, you stop caring what other people are thinking about you. And when you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And I, I would say, I mean, I'm not 60 yet, but, you know, I would say that trajectory generally holds that. Okay. But it's really, it's normal, like people, you know, evolutionarily speaking, you need a group. I mean, there's safety in numbers. Um, you know, we need like a secure base a clan and you don't like you're sort of between childhood family and sort of adult family whatever that's going to be for you you're kind of between so people need friends in their 20s they're looking and the fact that they're anxious about it shows that they care you you know that that this is like whoa I need this this matters so then you know you have to take the next step and say okay I need this it matters so what am I going to do about it you know what what healthy risks am I going to take yeah I like that a lot um speaking of like sharing things another thing on like TikTok that I see a lot about specifically like 20 somethings talking about um is it's kind of going back to career stuff but the idea of like being successful enough um especially like in your, you know, mid early twenties. Um, and so my question is, what do you think of that mindset of, you know, being successful enough or having it all together and how would you, uh, suggest shifting that perspective? 
I'm like trying to wrap my head around what you're saying. So the pressure is like, yeah. are you successful enough or yeah. are you, you have yeah, everything of, together in your mid twenties? A lot of people like will come on TikTok and talk about like feeling successful enough or like, I don't have it all together. And, you know, I know those mindsets aren't very helpful, but I mean, there's definitely times in my life where recently where I'm like, you know, I, I don't feel successful enough or I don't feel like, you know, I'm doing enough to, you know, have something to speak for. And so I'm just curious if you have any like mindset shifts around that. Mm. Um, I mean, I think if a client were saying that to me, I would want to understand what they mean by enough and, you mm. know, enough compared to what. So if it's like, well, I wanted to be, further or I want to get somewhere faster I would yeah. want to understand that of like well okay does that mean you need to work a little harder and go a little faster or does that mean you're putting some pressure on yourself to be somewhere that's you don't actually need to be yet but you're headed there you know a lot mm -hmm. of people, it's some of that certainty we're like we want it we want it like be done um and that you know careers unfold over time. And so, you know, there's often like, you don't get that sense of completion or like, you know, put a fork in it in your twenties. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess I would really want to understand what they mean by enough. And, you know, oftentimes what people mean by enough is I don't feel like enough compared to what other people are doing. Yeah. And then you just got to forget that because, you know, compare and despair it's, you know, unlike in school where everybody went along with the same assignments and the same grades and you theoretically could compare yourself to other people with some metric um, in, in life that you just, there's no metric that compares my life to your life. I mean, they're right. so completely different and that we're individuals. We've grown up in two completely different worlds just by being different people. We want different things. So um so I guess I would really want to understand what someone meant by enough. Yeah. Um, and maybe just in doing that, uh, that could kind of help them not necessarily slow their role. Cause I mean, I, I think sometimes you got to listen to like, well, what is, you know, is this a healthy sense of like, Hey, I have strivings and hopes and dreams and I want to work on those. It's like, great. You do that. Um, but it's not helpful to feel like you've got to have completed those by now. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, at least personally, and I think you would agree with this. I think the compare and despair is a huge part of like, uh, like being in your twenties. Um, and especially now with social media, it makes it really challenging, you know, with people posting and you always know when somebody is like getting a new job or, you know, reaching another milestone. Um, I know this morning I opened my Instagram and saw some people I know reach a milestone and like it, it does, it shifts like your, your, um, energy sometimes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yes. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's a, um, normal, you know, I'm always going back to like, it's normal, it's developmental, it's evolutionary yeah. and it is yet it's been, uh, social media is what actually is an example of what's called an evolutionary trap where it's oh. a normal evolutionary 
instinct to sort of look around and compare yourself to other people like am I okay am I where I should be I mean because how else could we kind of know you know like how we're doing in life right Uh, but we used to could compare ourselves you know way back in caveman days to like 10 people and we just needed to sort of be in the in the group not on the outside because then that's unsafe Um, and then, you know, as time has gone on, we can compare ourselves to more and more people. And then with the internet and social media, I mean, it's just like, we can compare ourselves to just, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of people and constantly getting data on that. So it's really hard not to look at it and react to it. And, you know, that's where no big surprise. I tell people, you know, you really have to figure out how you're using social media and what you need to do to have a healthy relationship with that. Because every time you see that information, you're going to have that evolutionary response. You can't stop. You can't help Mm -hmm. it than to go like, oh no, what does that mean about me? Um, And then even if you talk yourself down from it of, oh, my therapist said, or I heard Meg say or whatever, that's great. But your brain has to do that work. If you have to do that work 2000 times a day, um, that's a lot on your, your thoughts and feelings. Yeah. 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 I mean, social media is tough. And when you first came out with the book, do you like, obviously social media is probably one of the biggest differences in 20 somethings. Do you feel like 20 somethings from when you first came out with the book to book and then today what do you feel like their differences are oh uh, yeah that's interesting because the first edition of the defining decade came out in 2012 yeah and I wrote the update and that came out in 2021 so when the book came out in 2012 there was a chapter this will date it for you there was a chapter called my life should look better on facebook right <laughs> back when people were on facebook it was like yeah. the stone <laughs> ages so um <laughs> but what was interesting about that is that was i say this not to like toot my horn as much as to show how quickly things changed that was one of the first places that anybody wrote about social media and its effects on 20 somethings. Interesting. And because I saw it in real, like I saw it in real time. That was back when I had, you know, 40 patients a week and they were all in their twenties and they'd come in and say, you know, I think I'm going to join this thing called Facebook. (laughs) And then the next week they'd come in and they'd say, I hate my life. And so I saw it happening in real time from I'm a person who's never been on social media to now I'm on social media. And then we were constantly talking about Facebook all the time. I mean, especially what other people were doing and how that looked. And when I wrote that chapter, um, I had to really dig for some data because there hadn't even been time for there to hardly be any studies on it yet. Because, you know, you got to collect the data and blah, blah, and whatever takes time. So this was really early days. And then, of course, when I wrote the update in 2021, it's like, no, duh, everybody knows, (laughs) you know, that... (laughs) You're going to go, it's a compare and despair and upward social comparisons, and it's really a challenge. And um, so, I mean, it went, so I, you know, the 20 something brain on social media has been a part of 20 somethings almost the whole time. Well, maybe not the first five years or so I worked with them, but beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, But so now what was kind of, what was a new thing then is just now obviously omnipresent and I guess the silver lining is believe it or not is that I do feel like 
everybody knows that this is tricky business. It's like right. fast food. It's like smoking. It's like whatever that, you know, you got, you're going to really have to pay ten- attention to how you're using it, how much time you're using it and what way you're using it, what effect it has sort of on your mood um, and your life. And so I don't really have to sell that anymore. Everybody knows that, right. um, but it's a matter of, you know, well, what are you, what are you doing about it? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, as a, as a big social media user, it's, it's tough. Um, and I think, I like to think that I've gotten some better boundaries around it as, as you know, you said, as we've learned that a lot of people have learned that it is very addictive and can be very, you know, effective on your mental health and all those things. What have you, how have you sort of, decided to kind of manage it or use it wisely. Yeah, I mean, I had went through a kind of tough period in my life, like mental health wise, when TikTok actually first came out. So everyone kind of knew me as the person that like wasn't on I didn't get a TikTok until like last year. And of course, now I'm like very into it and I make content on it. Um, But I think when I feel my mental health like depleting, that's kind of like the first thing I go to is social media and trying to get off of it um, or just like not spending as much time like mindlessly scrolling in my bed. Yeah, because I yeah, I think for me and like many other people, you know, you scroll in your bed and then you're laying in your bed all day. And then at the end of the day, you're like, I've done nothing. I haven't even gone outside. So, you know, with working with my therapist, I learned that like, I, you know, on a weekend, if I'm not doing anything that day, like that's amazing, but like getting out and going to grab a coffee or going for a walk will do me a lot better mentally than just scrolling all day because I think that's resting. I mute people a ton and it's never anything against them. But like, if I notice someone brings up something like negative or jealous or like cruel within myself, I just mute them. They don't need to know, like, if they if they make me like they bring out something bad in me, I just mute them. Like I don't need to see it. I mute. I've muted probably hundreds of people at this point, and it's nothing against them. Yeah, but it makes it so I can go on and not have like as horrible as a reaction. Yeah. Right. I think you need. It's something you know. We all have to kind of take responsibility and you know some control over our own social media of like how much time in what way who we listen to who we look at and you know it's um I talked about smoking but so well this will also date how long I've been working with 20 somethings when I first started working with 20 somethings they smoked like no one really smokes anymore cigarettes I mean I know they smoke everything else but like people (laughs) used to smoke cigarettes and um so I had a client who was smoking like a pack a day, said, I really want to quit. But you know, when you're in your 20s, the health effects of smoking are like, not tomorrow, right? So it's kind of yeah, hard. to, right. you know. Anyway, long story short, she quits. And the first thing she noticed was how much more time she had in her day. Because every time she would smoke a cigarette, so that'd be like a five or 10 minute smoke break. Because she would, that's how she would use them to like take a break. And so 20 cigarettes in a pack that we're talking about 200 minutes a day on smoke breaks, that's, you know, three hours ish a day on smoke breaks. And I tell my clients or my students, this, they're like, that's crazy. Three hours a day on smoke breaks. And I'm like, all right, pull out your phones. 
how much time you spent on TikTok yesterday in little tiny five and 10 minute ch chunks that turned into like an hour and a half. And so right. like very quickly, they're like, okay, you know, we get it. But so for me, like, yes, there is, there are direct effects on people's mental health from comparing and despairing. I mean, that directly affects you. There's also the indirect that you mentioned of if you're doing that, there's something else you're not doing that might make you happier. Um, seeing a friend, going for a walk, getting your errands done. I mean, there's a lot of other things that people would have done with that time that maybe, so it's kind of a double whammy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good outlook. I've never thought about like the times that I'm sitting on social media, like for hours, like the stuff that I'm not doing. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That, that's to me I have even like more I get a, kind of more because that's sort of indisputable like whether or not you you know some people are like yeah I, I enjoy you know scrolling and this and that and it's how I relax whatever okay fine you know if it's not having negative effects on you in that directly great um, but three hours a day there's a lot of other stuff that you might have done that with that time that does make you happier and healthier. Sure, for sure. Well, as we're nearing the end of our time, we have one last question for you that we ask all of our guests. So oh, every yeah. time I get to this, I feel like I should have done my research and found out <laughs> what this question, this comes up a lot. And I'm always like, why am I, ne why am I never prepared for this? Because <laughs> they're always so, at the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. They always put it at the end. Sometimes I'm like, should I put it at the beginning as like a conversation starter, get her going? But I don't know. So the question we ask everybody is, since it's, our podcast is called Completely Fucking Clueless, we're curious, when is a time recently that you felt clueless? It can be big, small, like struggling with taxes. Yeah. I imagine you probably don't struggle with taxes anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm I had recently is struggling with taxes. <laughs> I farmed that struggle out to someone else at this point uh, in my life. Yes. One there. day. Uh, one day. Yes. It, it's cut one day, gals. You also will farm that out. It's great. Um, uh, okay. I'll be super honest. I felt completely fucking clueless. Um, off and on in the last couple of months, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. And then I probably need to say no more. I have a teenage son. <laughs> so, you know, that probably speaks for itself, but it turns oh, yeah. out the, the, the son of the, you know, defining decade lady is also a human and he is going to develop the way he's going to develop. And he hasn't read my book and even if he had, wouldn't take any of my advice, I'm sure. <laughs> and I definitely feel as clueless as every other parent out there of, you know, how do you most help your kid be who they want to be and need to be in the way they, they want and need to do this, yet also try to sort of help them how you can. So I feel completely fucking clueless as a parent all the time. Um, and I will never you can mark my words, I will never write a book about parenting. Um, because <laughs> I often feel clueless about that. And, um, and I'm the first to admit it. I have two younger brothers, I remember their teenage phases. <laughs> my nephew uh, just turned 10. And I'm really dreading when he becomes a teenager, like I can already see the stein starting to show and I'm really dreading it. <laughs> 
when we were I was on semester at sea in the fall and I had both my teenagers with me and um it was so funny because there's 520 somethings on the ship and every time I leave my room they're like Dr. J can I get a minute of your time and my teenagers are like get away from me mom don't give me any advice <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I I feel that with my mother because she's a social worker yeah there so you I, go. I will go to her and be like mom like I need your help but then I'm also will be like can you stop therapizing <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. So they yes. were looking around at like who are all these people who want my mom's advice it's so bizarre so, so, funny. so yeah I feel clueless there all the time yeah I love that well thank you so much for sitting down oh, with us pleasure. again yeah. this was so amazing and we're so excited for all of y'all to watch it um Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It was a really, really fun way to end the day. So Yay. thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Meg J. We hope you got as much out of it as we did. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What a cool experience. I'm still just like... And like so giddy about ha getting all these opportunities with her. No, it's still absolutely insane. I'm like, I'm not qualified in any way for any of this, but okay, thank you. But we did it. We did it. Woohoo. All right. If you guys love what you are hearing on CFC, do not forget to follow us on Instagram at completely fucking clueless and TikTok and YouTube at completely FCKING clueless. Period. Per, we hope you all have an amazing Tuesday and an amazing week. And don't forget to be motherfucking clueless. Go read The Defining Decade. Yes. It'll help. Go read The Defining Decade. I cried. I, I loved it. Yeah. It was so good. I think actually I don't have a copy currently because I think I've lent out both my copies. I probably need to see about getting this back. I think I left both mine out. I think one to Liz and one to another friend. Who's in the city now?